Well, this morning, our, our passage that we'll be considering is in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 through 10. It's in the New Testament, almost towards the end of the, the Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 through 10. I preached this text the first Sunday that we were officially known as Redeeming Grace Baptist Church. I'm sure all of you who were here remember that. Uh, just kidding. But I thought it would be good for us to go back to this passage and consider the words of Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit as he wrote to the church at Thessalonica to encourage them. Because there's some important truths that we need to hear from this passage as we think about who we are as a church and where we're heading. So these are the words of the Lord inspired by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. He writes, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God and Father, our God and Father, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example of all, to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give it to us for our good and for your glory. So Lord, as we consider it this morning, would you teach us and change us, we pray, in Christ's name, amen. So what are we building? With respect to the activity that's taking place across the way, that's been a question that many of us have discussed for a number of years now. And by God's grace, we are seeing a physical building take shape. Somebody this morning said, not only is it taking shape, it actually looks like a church, whatever that means. But listen, buildings don't just happen. For these past three, four years even, we have had a laser-like focus dealing with things like blueprints and budgets so we could see that building happen. And by God's grace, it is happening and it's exciting to see that taking place. 
But when we think about putting down roots, putting down roots is about so much more than 20,000 square feet, classroom dimensions, sanctuary seating capacities, colors, materials. Putting down roots is much more than steel and concrete. The question, what are we building, must be answered at a much deeper foundational level than blueprints and budgets. The first Sunday we launched as a church, we looked at this text and we considered then what it is we are building long before we had any concept of a physical building. That Sunday, seven, over seven years ago, isn't that hard to believe? Over seven years ago, we considered from this very passage the, the idea of what God is building as he builds his church and what redeeming grace Baptist church ought to be about. So I thought it would be good to return to this same passage today. We could have turned to a number of passages today for that matter to be reminded of what it is we ought to be building because it can be a distraction. A physical facility can be a distraction. And when it's complete, we could look at that building and say, wow, look at us. Look how nice this building is. But so can Muslims and Hindus. They have prettier buildings probably. Mormons, you don't even have to be a Christian. You could be some other organization that has a pretty building. So it's important that we ask that question today. What are we building? And that we go to a deeper, more foundational level of understanding what it is this people is about, this people known as Redeeming Grace Baptist Church. What kind of roots are we seeking to put down in this community and why? As we consider this passage here in 1 Thessalonians, it's a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. He wrote two. Thessalonica was a strategic port city in the North Aegean Sea, modern day Greece area, if you're thinking Mediterranean, that part of the world. The church there was founded under some intense circumstances. If you go back to Acts chapter 17, you can read about the planting and the establishing of the church at Thessalonica and how it came about. Paul, there he's on his missionary journeys. He goes to a synagogue. Part of his ministry there was to go to the synagogue as he typically would. And as his custom, he began explaining Jesus from the scriptures the Old Testament scriptures, in the synagogue, preaching Jesus. And we know that from Acts 17 that many were saved and the church emerged there at Thessalonica, but many were not so impressed. In fact, a mob ran Paul and Silas out of town. And so what Paul does as he's driven away, he writes to the church, of Thessalonica to encourage them and to remind them of their standing despite all of the turmoil that surrounded these new Christians in the faith. 
He wanted to exhort them and encourage them because he's now been pushed away and moved on. And now these believers, new to the faith, remain there at the church at Thessalonica, and they needed to be encouraged, reminded. In other words, Paul is seeking through this letter to remind them who they were and why they existed. And brothers and sisters, that's what we want to think about today. The last thing we want to be known in this community is what color our building is. <laughs> what, what an amazing building you have. Now we are about something much greater than steel and concrete. One day, if the Lord tarries, that will, I don't wanna discourage you, especially those of you who still wanna give, I don't, it, it'll, it'll go away. It'll be, it'll burn. Can still burn? I don't know. It'll be destroyed. It's a temporary house, if you will, for us to utilize, a tool. And so what we build must last into eternity. And that's what we want to think about from this text today. As I think about what God's done over these past three years, I'm thrilled, like, Again, I've told you time and time again, when I'm with other pastors and I hear just the challenges they're facing, the givings down and losing members, struggling here, struggling there, I, I just sit in silence because I'm just, I don't have, we don't have those same kinds of problems. We got problems for sure, but we don't have those type. And so I'm often just reminded of how blessed we are as far as the generosity here. But we know that while generous giving is a great thing, having a building is a good, helpful thing, if we lose sight of the main thing, then we will be of no use to the Lord, to this community, to the ends of the earth. So as Redeeming Grace Baptist Church seeks to put down roots in this community, I think it's important for us to keep the following things in perspective and at the forefront of who we are and what we are about. Two things this morning. First of all, we must remember our gospel roots. We must remember our gospel roots, gospel roots. The Thessalonians had been recipients of the good news. Paul originally brought to them and many of them responded to this message in faith. But it wasn't long before the Jews of Thessalonica run Paul out of town and sought to cause disorder concerning the things Paul preached. It was apparent, if you read the text in Acts 17 and even through this letter in the next, that the persecution didn't subside once Paul left. It wasn't as if pressure happened, Paul leaves and then pressure eased. No, Paul leaves behind a bunch of Christians and the pressure remained, so they needed to be encouraged. So these believers were being put to the test. For some of them, they could have been tempted to think, well, what's happened to us? Before Jesus, we were fine, but now everything's in turmoil. So Paul writes to encourage them. He writes to encourage them in who they were as God's people and to exhort them to stand firm in the truth of the gospel. He begins doing this by giving thanks, expressing his gratitude. So two things that we see here noted in the in the first five verses, or first few verses of our passage is, is Paul has an expressed gratitude. 
He was quick to remind them of the reality of their faith. Look at what he writes. We give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love and steadfastness of hope. As, he give thank, as Paul gives thanks to God for them, he's giving thanks by remembering three things that he mentions here. Their work of faith, the works that they've done in devotion to God. These were not passive, casual Christians. They worked hard for the Lord. Despite their newfound faith, despite the, the persecution and the challenges that they faced, they worked hard. They were devoted to God. He references their labor of love, noting how they were compelled by love, love for God, love for one another, and their steadfastness of hope. They were enduring the hardships of opposition and persecution because of the foundation and because of the hope that they had in Jesus. And Paul is saying, I thank God for these things. He was grateful for these qualities, especially in a context where it wasn't easy to be a Christian. Many of them could have easily just fallen back into the crowd and removed themselves from the persecution and the pressures, but they didn't. The point he's saying here is that when the gospel takes roots in the lives of people, Despite what's going on around them, these roots lead to, to this kind of Christian, a believer who's willing to work hard for the Lord, a Christian that's motivated by love, love for God, love for others, two great commandments, and a believer that is inspired to endure hardships because of the hope that they have in Jesus. And Paul is saying, that's what I want you to know, Christians, as I write to encourage you, I'm reminding you, I'm giving thanks to God and remembering before God your work of faith, labor of love and steadfastness of hope. In other words, I'm remembering the work of grace that took root in you to bring about these fruits. These are the kind of roots, brothers and sisters, we want to see planted in this community, not necessarily in a ground, but in the hearts of men and women, children all throughout this community. But again, if we aren't careful, we can get distracted by even good things and miss the most important things. Scholar Greg Beal said this. He said, too often churches today tend to give thanks only for visible and quantifiable realities, such as a new building, an increase in membership, and an increase in giving. Paul gives thanks for more unquantifiable realities, such as faith, love, and hope, which are needed to inspire good works to the visible level. I thought, well, what a good reminder that is. As we come together to give praise to God and thanks to God for a building and generosity and giving. These visible, quantifiable things that we can see and check and affirm. Again, this isn't to say that we shouldn't give thanks for a new building, we should. 
It's not saying that what I said about the amazing generosity of this church earlier shouldn't be said. No, I want to affirm you that you are obeying the Lord and you are seeking to be generous in your walk with the Lord. But brothers and sisters, if, if that's all we think about is buildings and numbers and budgets, then we are missing the point of it all. What I'm saying is that we need to push beyond the visible to that which is often invisible, things like faith, love, and hope, which eventually manifest themselves in visible fruit. These are the things that we need to give thanks to God for. It's easy, isn't it? It's easy to come in here today and say, Lord, we thank you for this building that's happening. I thank you, Lord, for $1.3 million. We've exceeded our commitments. That's easy to do. But how often are we saying, God, I give thanks for the work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope. How often are we giving thanks to God for these things? The work of grace in the hearts of individuals. Friends, let's chase the roots of God's work of grace and give thanks to God for these things. Let's be thankful for the visible things, but let's also be mindful, thankful, remembering the work of grace in the hearts of people. So Paul has this expressed gratitude, but he also mentions an, a newfound identity here. As he mentions some of the evidences of faith in these believers, he highlights a few other realities, two other realities at play that were true of these Christians. And these two things that he marks here were not only true of the Christians in Thessalonica, they are true of you, if you are a follower of Jesus. They're true of all Christians everywhere. And these are the two things. One, as we think about who we are, number one, we are loved. Paul begins to address them. He reminds them about this. Verse four, for we know brothers and sisters loved by God, loved by God, that he has chosen you. We're loved. And so I think sometimes we, we lose the weight of what it means to be loved by a holy God. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What that text does not say is that when we became Christians, God loved us. While we were yet sinners, God demonstrates his love for us. God's love for us led him to sacrifice himself for our sake. John 15, verse 13, we read greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. These new believers in Thessalonica could be encouraged amidst their persecution and challenges and testing because they were objects of God's Love. Friends, let's not lose sight of that. Part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, part of what it means to be a Christian is to be those who are loved in a peculiar, unique, specific way. And it's easy to lose sight of that, isn't it? There's no greater reality in the world than to know that the God of the universe, the Holy perfect, sinless, righteous king over all creation 
doesn't just love humanity as a unit, he loves you individually. So we are loved. Number two, we are chosen. Another reality that marks us off as God's people is that we are chosen. It's important to remember that as sinners, we stand justly condemned before a holy God. Indeed, we are sinners by nature and by choice, but God's grace is in fact a testimony to his electing grace. Look at verse four again. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. The reason they know that is because the gospel comes and power and the Holy Spirit comes. God's election is a reminder that our salvation begins with God, not with us. He is the one who initiates our salvation and secures it from beginning to end. The Bible often, the Bible often refers to believers as those who are loved and called or chosen. Again, he even acknowledges the proof of their chosenness by reminding them of how powerfully the gospel came to them in verse four and five. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Their lives were truly changed. And friends, we must not neglect to remember that the roots of God's grace have taken root in us in the same way. If you are a Christian, this is who you are. You were loved and chosen of God. And so when we think about putting down roots, it's, it's been a call to action, yes, so this church can be better positioned in the community for present and future ministry, for sure. But we must not forget that the church is for, first and foremost a people, loved and called out of God, a people redeemed by grace. We didn't just pick that name out of a church name catalog. Not, not because it's just a hip new name. No, we wanted to be known. I mean, we're in Callaway. Callaway Baptist Church is already taken. Praise God for that church that's there. But redeeming grace, that's who we are. It marks us. It identifies us of what this people is, who we are. The moment we lose sight of that is the moment we fail to make a lasting impact in this community, much less to the ends of the earth. It's the gospel that must be the message we proclaim because it's the gospel that makes us who we are. So, we must remember our gospel roots. We cannot take our eyes off of that. Every, every Sunday when we gather, that's what we're doing. We're affirming, reminding, remembering, confessing, acknowledging the gospel that's taking root in us. That's why it's so vital that we gather weekly to be reminded, because you go out throughout this week and there's all kinds of distractions out there. So we come back and we're reminded of, of God's work of grace. That's why we wanna preach the gospel. That's why we wanna sing the gospel, confess the gospel, pray it, remember it. Because that's who we are. We are in Christ because of God's work of grace in us. 
But not only must we remember our gospel roots, we must be committed to gospel fruits. I almost came up with a rap with that because I thought that would be cool. It kind of rhymes. But I didn't have time, so I didn't do that. Um, we must be committed to gospel fruits. Paul's already acknowledged the fruit of their faith by pointing to three things, right? He's pointed to their labor of love, their steadfastness of hope, their work of faith. But as we continue, we see further fruit that Paul highlights as a way to encourage them. Friends, I think we need to take lessons sometimes from Paul because one of the things that's true is that we often see what's missing, (laughs) what's not good, right? And so one of the things I think we find in the Bible is an encouragement to affirm what is good. Even the Corinthians, what a wreck. Paul was grateful for the work of grace in them. I think that we could learn from that to affirm, oh, we see evidences of grace here and there. And I think that's what Paul's doing as a way to encourage the church. The grace that takes root in us does bear fruit. Notice some of these fruits that are exemplified here in the Thessalonians. This work of grace, first of all, enables perseverance. Look at verse six. He's talking about how the the gospel comes to them in power through the Holy Spirit with full conviction. And then he said, and you, talking to the Christians at Thessalonica, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. There are two opposite things that are mentioned there, affliction and joy. You receive the word in affliction. You were persecuted, threatened, but you received it with the joy that's in the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit gives. So as a result, this gospel they received and the Holy Spirit that they received now enables them to have joy amidst their affliction. They've been tested already. You know, the the, the Thessalonians, they, they didn't come to a nice service like this. Hear the word and believe it and then a celebration breakout. What happened is they heard the gospel, when they believed it, a riot broke out. A riot. But they endured in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit because they were recipients of grace now filled with the Spirit of God so they could endure in joy because of the Spirit's work and presence in their lives. It's a great reminder that following Jesus, friends, is not always easy. It can often be demanding and difficult. You will not be liked in this world for being a Christian. It's a life that requires, demands perseverance. It's the kind of work that we want to be about here at Redeeming Grace, making disciples that persevere amidst hardship trials, persecution. These are the kind of roots we want to ultimately put down in the lives of people so that we can strive to be a church that equips, disciples, exhorts, encourages, perseverance. 
So when you get to places in your life and you're like, it's just not worth it, I'm quitting. That the gospel that's in you is rooted in you and so that you don't quit. So that you endure and persevere in the joy of the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of roots we're talking about. Not concrete, not steel. That'll be a place where people hear about the gospel so that these roots of the gospel can go deep into them. So that when hard times come, when difficulties come, when chaos happens, they persevere in the Lord. That's what we want to do. That's the kind of roots we want to plant. Roots that enable perseverance. Number two, roots that empower obedience. Look at verse seven. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. These Christians, these new believers in Thessalonica, receive the word amidst much affliction. They have the joy of the Holy Spirit and now they are an example. They are model Christians to a watching world around them. They became an example to believers in Macedonia and Achaia. This included places like Berea and Corinth and certainly Corinth needed an example. Philippi, Athens, other places could look to the church at Thessalonica and say, wow, that's what the gospel does. Look at these faithful Christians. Friends, it's a reminder to us that when someone truly experiences the redeeming grace of God in their lives, it will generate change and transformation. Faithfulness to God, obedience to God becomes our desire, our aim, our pursuit. Listen, I look forward to seeing a building completed for many reasons. I even have interest in what it looks like. Just ask the building team. I have opinions, sometimes strong opinions. And sometimes I lose my opinion. But friends, we must be far more concerned with what our lives look like in this community than we are with what a building may look like in this community. We can have the nicest building in this county and if we aren't making disciples that imitate Jesus, we have nothing to rejoice over. Therefore, we must commit to producing beautiful disciples, not merely a beautiful building. Disciples that become examples to others. Putting down roots leads to this. Gospel roots also informs our mission. Look at verse eight. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth, look at the word, everywhere, so that we need not say anything. The Thessalonian church was one born out of mission through Paul's missionary journey, but now they had taken ownership in that mission and their faith was being proclaimed and known everywhere. Yes, in Macedonia, in the immediate region, but beyond. 
The gospel had taken root in them and now their roots were expanding beyond Thessalonica, impacting other places in the region, in the world. Brothers and sisters, you can know that that is certainly clearly a calling that we have as well. We are to be a people on mission. And just because we put down physical building concrete steel kinds of roots in this place doesn't mean that we don't seek to expand and mobilize and multiply these roots to other places. Friends, we are not called to put down roots on that hill just to do our own thing on that 9.9 whatever acres. No, that building is to be a mobilization center from which we send gospel workers into this community to our nation and to the ends of the earth. Due to the nature of this community and a host of other factors, it's just a fact that many of us, as we've already seen in the past three years, 60 plus people moving, many, many, many of us in this church will either be deployed, transferred, or heading to other places. And some of you already have that. You already have that, that plan and that order. And so when you think about putting down roots, you're thinking, well, that's, that's weird because I'm not gonna put down roots here. I'm going somewhere else for three years and then somewhere else for another three years and then eventually somewhere else, maybe back here, et cetera, thanks to the Navy. So for some of you, the Navy will tell you it's time to go to the next duty station. For some, it means going off to college. For others, maybe God's calling you elsewhere to live and serve. So as we put down roots, we need to understand we're putting down roots that will expand. So no matter how long you're here, these are roots we want to see invested in you so that these roots grow and expand far and wide in this community and beyond to God's glory. Roots that grow so that as the Lord calls you to other places, you can continue to make an impact for this same gospel. Friends, our, our roots are ultimately in heaven the new creation, that's where we will put down eternal roots. That's where it all is, is final and done once and for all. So again, when we think about putting down roots, we're talking about roots that are ultimately spiritual. Gospel roots that grow deep in us so that we, as we go, we can make disciples wherever we are and make an impact. So my prayer, my hope is that those 10 acres are the most active 10 acres in this county. Spreading our influence, spreading the gospel message as far and as wide as we possibly can till Jesus comes again. That means for some that will be a building, will be a launching point out into the world. For others, it will be a place where you will spend many, many years but for all it will be a place of equipping and mobilization for gospel work to be sent out into the world for the glory and praise of God. Gospel roots that take deep root in us informs our mission. Last, it transforms our devotion. Look at verse nine. One of the reasons that their faith had sounded forth 
and their faith in God had gone forth everywhere was because these were former idolaters, radically changed by the grace of God. For they themselves report, look at verse nine, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Before Jesus, these people were idolaters. But having heard the gospel through Paul and others, God bringing forth this newfound hope into their lives, they laid down their idols and began serving the true and living God. God's work of grace is a transformative work of grace. It's not a tack on thing. Oh, I've got Christian now, Christianity, just add that to the plate. No, it transforms the whole. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. So if you have been truly encountered the redeeming grace of God in Christ, listen, your life is different. Different. Doesn't mean perfect, but different, transformed. It's a work that God is doing in you and through you. It transforms our devotion. It transforms our priorities. It transforms everything. And then another last, it redirects our focus. Verse 10, the roots that take root in us redirects our focus. Look, he says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. People who have not experienced the transformation of the gospel live primarily for two things, for themselves and for today. So those who haven't been changed by the grace of God, that's what they live for themselves and today. That's it. But these believers in Thessalonica had a new focus because they've been changed by the gospel and their focus now was not upon themselves and their focus was not on today. Their focus was now directed to a future hope they and all Christians have when Christ comes again. They were waiting, actively waiting for the son to return. This one that God raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath, of, wrath to come. He's pointing to a day when, when all will come to its final end and a day when all will be judged and those who are not trusting in Christ will be judged and condemned for all of eternity and experience the wrath of God for eternity. And yet they're saying here, we're waiting for Jesus to return because on that same day, those who hope in Jesus will be delivered from that wrath into everlasting life and joy and hope and peace forever. True Christians eagerly look forward to Christ's return because he or she knows that it will be fulfilled, the fulfillment of God's plan. It redirects our focus. Brothers and sisters, our focus cannot be upon ourselves or today. It must be upon that day when Christ will return and that day informs how we live out our daily lives today. So yes, 
when we look back at this brief history of what God has done here. Let's rejoice in what the Lord has done since 2015 when we became Redeeming Grace Baptist Church. Let's rejoice in how God has blessed through this campaign over the last three years so that we can invest in the future of this church and ministry for decades to come. But brothers and sisters, let us first and foremost rejoice and remember the fact that the gospel is what takes root in our lives. The gospel is what transforms us. And let's rejoice in that. Let's rejoice in how God has saved us by his grace and given us a commission to go and make disciples of all nations. That, friends, is what we are to be about. That is who we are. That is what we're building. A place that recognizes and remembers the gospel roots that we have and a people that produce gospel fruit for his glory as we wait for Christ to come again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for helping us to remember. Help us, Lord, we pray as we continue on to remember who it is we are, what it is we're truly building. Father, it's been great. These past three years have been great as we think about this initiative and what it's enabling us to do for the gift that this building will be to this congregation for decades to come. What a blessing, Lord. We give thanks to you for it. But Father, we want to be reminded this morning that we're ultimately about a greater purpose. The roots we're seeking to plant are deeper roots. Roots that not only impact us here, but Lord, roots that expand and go far and wide. So Lord, we ask that you would keep that on the forefront of our minds and hearts today. That as we think about putting down roots, that we wouldn't first of all think about a building, that Lord, we would think first of all about the gospel and about the fruit the gospel brings in the lives of your people. So Lord, would you do that work today, we pray. Remind us, help us, keep us focused on the task at hand, Lord. Keep us rooted in the truth, rooted in the gospel, and fruitful until Jesus comes again. We pray this in his name. Amen.